We can take a seat. Good morning. Thanks to Jared Heglin for that. That was awesome. That was you, right? Yep. It's good. Heglin's everywhere. For those I haven't met before, my name's Ryan. I'm one of the, one of the staff here, and it's uh, my privilege this morning to be able to, to share with you guys as we continue in this series. And last week, Pastor Phil preached a ripper of a message on what it means to, to care about the things that uh, Jesus cares about. We're going to continue to look at that this morning. And, and uh, last week as well, we launched the, uh, the We Care bags that you would have seen in What's On. And it's uh, great to see that we actually got rid of 150 bags that you guys took last week, but that is 150 of 500 that we're aiming to, to see go out and get filled. So we're almost a third of the way there, which is awesome. So uh, it's just something to celebrate. Thanks, Phil. It's good. And just encourage you guys to, to go get one of those. Take it with you on your way home. Fill it up and bring it back next week. It's good. Bring it back next week and we're going to line our foyer with you know bags and bags and bags of food, which are going to go out to, the, to people who need it the most this Christmas. So uh, you'll be able to do that after the service. But Excited this morning to, to look and to continue in this series, We Care. And this morning we're going to look at the idea of that we care about others. That when we look at Jesus' ministry, we look at what he, he cared about most, I think. What he cared about most is people and uh, the people that were most in need. You know, he, he preaches a lot about coming to, to, to you know, heal the sick and, and coming to spend time with people that uh, weren't normally considered worthy of Jesus' time or, or a rabbi's time. But that's where Jesus wanted to be. And everything about Jesus was that he cared about other people. And so this morning, we're going to have a look at a passage of Scripture, which is probably one of the most uh, famous of all, is in Luke 10, 25. It is the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which, look, it's already up there. Steve, you are so efficient. It's awesome. And we're going to have a read of this parable and have a look at uh, what, what this says and what Jesus says about how we should care for other people. So it says here, one day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You know, Jesus is going to go on and, and answer his uh, question with a story. But I want to pause here and just look at the, the concept of who is my neighbor. And what, what does that mean? It says here that the man is, is trying to justify himself. He's trying to justify his actions. And when you look at what he's trying to do there, basically he's trying to make himself not responsible for a whole portion of people. So as he's asking that, you know, part of the thing, the, the definition there is, is the word not guilty. The, the idea is that if you, if you can justify yourself, you're not guilty. You're justified. You're not responsible for, for that action or for that thing. And in this circumstance, he's saying, basically, what am I not responsible for? What will I get off the hook for? Who do I have to serve in order to fulfill this? And, and I remember in my own life, as I was thinking about this, as I was a bit younger, as a high school chaplain and spent a lot of time working with teenagers, which I, which I loved. And one of the things I used to pray was, God, give me opportunities to, to be able to care for these kids. Give me opportunities to be able to be in their world. At the same time, I was working here and I was saying, God, just, I just want opportunities. I want to create space to, to minister to people, to care for them, to spend time with them. 
And what I found was that that never actually happened at a convenient time in my life. It was never like I was just waiting and then someone would come in. And I'd be like, oh, great. This is great. I get to, I'd carve time out in my chaplaincy schedule just to be around. So like just to be in my office. So, you know, not always out surfing as most of the school department thought I did. So it was surfing and soccer. And so, you know, I thought I'll spend some time around. But not often would kids just happen to make their way there. It always happened at a time of inconvenience or at a time where I wasn't expecting it or I wasn't ready for it. And I remember one night, and, and I, might have, I think I've told this story in our youth ministry before, I remember being at home and, and had a terrible day at school and probably much the same, I used to come to church after school, and so I think it had just been a rough day, and so I just wanted to kind of come home and, and, and chill out, and there was a midweek soccer on, which I'm a big fan of, so I, I thought I'm going to stay up and I'm going to watch this game, it wasn't too late, and we're living in Joondalup at the time, and my wife came in and said, Ryan, um, I just got a phone call from, from one of our young, young adult girls who, whose car is kind of broke. She's got a flat tyre. And I was like, oh, that's a shame. And at the time, she was, she was staying up the road. She was like four houses up. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm sure, you know, someone will come and help her out. That's, that, that's a shame. And she said, oh, I think you should go and change her tyre. And I was like, I think the soccer's starting. And, but she's four houses up. So let me tell you what, I'll get up in the morning. I'll go up, I'll change her tyre so she can get to work on time. Good compromise. And she was like, no, you need to go and do it now. And I was like, now I'm just starting to get like a bit, I'm like, no, I don't, I don't, I want to, I just want to watch this. There's boys coming around. It's not, not a good time. I can't leave them here to watch the game by themselves. That would just be not hospitable. And so I need to, I need to stay here and, I, you know, just park it in the garage and it'll be fine. And she said, it's not in the garage. It's on the side of the road, like four kilometers down the road. She's on the side of the road. She's by herself. And I'm like, is there anyone else we can call? I'm not a mechanic. And this, this, like, this argument kind of began to take place. And what I realized was at the end of the day, I had no choice. I had to go and change the tire. So grumpily, the, the boys there, I'm like, you know, just keep me updated, text me, whatever. And I got in the car and I grumpily drove, probably a little bit too quick and grumpily, and, and saw her on the side of the road and I pulled over. But then instantly, my demeanor from what it was at home to when I got out of the car began to shift. So I'm like, oh, hey, so sorry about your tire. Oh, let me help you change it. And I got out and began, I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry this happened to you. And it's like, thank you for helping me. I'm like, oh, you know, it's my privilege anytime. I'm just so happy that I could just help you. And began to change her tire and a friend was there and they're like, oh, you're so lovely. We should, we should buy you a gift. I'm like, no, no, you shouldn't. Like, you know, it's just, I'm just here to serve you and left. And they, they were so grateful. And then I got back in the car and I was like, I've missed the first half of the, and, and continued in that space. And I, and I remember that being kind of a bit of a silly story and, and being a bit grumpy about, you know, just missing something that was convenient to me. But what God highlighted in my life in that moment was that I was happy to help on my terms. That when it came to caring about people and it came to opportunities to, to minister and help, it was all good and well if it fitted in my time where I was in my office waiting for a young person to happen to have a problem so I could be on hand to help them. Or if it happened on a Friday night between 6.30 and 8.45 when we were running our teenage program, I was more than happy to help them. But... Once 8.45 came, I was kind of like, well, you know, out you go. Uh, parents problem now. Um, we'll see you next week. And if you have a problem, come back. And it was this habit that I developed in my life that being inconvenienced wasn't what I wanted. And I had this heart to help people, but it had become on my own terms. And so I, I feel like God was telling me that I was like a bad Samaritan in that point of view. Like I, you know, I'd always heard that story about the good Samaritan. He passed by and he helped and he did all of these things that we're going to look at. But I felt like in my life that wasn't me. I was prepared to, to get the credit of being the good Samaritan without actually wanting to put in the work or the inconvenience to, to get there. And so for me, that was a, a huge eye-opening point in my life 
where I looked and went, you know what, if I'm truly going to do what God is calling me to do and be who, more importantly, be who he's calling me to be, I need to care about other people all the time. And that doesn't mean that we don't have boundaries and we don't have things in place. But then when the opportunity knocks, that I would be there to take it and say, you know what, God, this is who I am. This is who I want to be. And I'm going to make sure that in every opportunity that you give me, if it's changing a tire and missing the soccer, or it's missing out on a surf class to stay with that kid that had a bad time at lunch, whether it's sitting around after youth and just spending some time with that teenager, then that's what I want to do. And I believe that God began to shift something in my heart that's still not perfect, but it helped me understand a little bit more about what we're going to read here again. And so I love Jesus gets asked a question. I love it how they always try to test him. Like it's necessary to add that in there, that he was there to test Jesus. And so they ask him these questions and expect these answers. But what I love about Jesus is he always answers with a story. Like, you know, if you have, I don't know if you've got parents like that. Like I've got a grandparent like that. Like I ask him a question and rather than just answering me the question, he's like, well, son, let me tell you. And begins to proceed with this long story. Um, and, and for a while, it takes me a while to get to the point of what he meant. I'm like, can't you just give me a, a, a one sentence answer here? Can't you just, is it a yes or a no? Or who is my neighbor? And Jesus is like, well, let me tell you a story. And so here's where we, we pick it up. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. Anyone else like kind of picture raccoons in that situation, like bandits with the little masks over their eyes, like peering out of the bushes? It's just what I see. Sorry, I digress. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. No raccoon would do that. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant also walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed on the other side. You know, one of the translations you read of this, it says, luckily, luckily a priest was coming by. And I love the thought of that, that, you know, just, he just so happened to be walking past. Isn't it lucky that a priest came? But not only did the priest not help, he actually crossed the other side of the road. Didn't just walk past, didn't kind of, you know, but actually deliberately made an effort to cross the road and, and keep walking. And then another person who's recognized as caring for people, a, pre, a temple assistant, also sees the guy and doesn't just go, oh, that's, that's a shame or kind of just awkwardly. He like crosses the road to get as far away as possible from the situation and keep moving. And, you know, there's many reasons in this story. I, I love reading into this that, that they could have walked past and justified their actions. I love that. Who is my name? They could have justified their actions. They can be proven not guilty of crossing the road and moving despite their status because of where they were and who it was on the ground. So understanding that the road that the guy was walking down, the road to Jericho was a notorious uh, stretch of like desert road and robbery from bandits was, was very common, that it was an unsafe route to travel, that it wasn't one you'd want to go down and to be robbed or held up or something bad to happen to you there was not uncommon. And so it could have been a trap for the priest or the priest assistant traveling with their, with their people, having you know, wealth and things with them. It could have been that the guy was pretending to be, be on the ground and then there'd be bandits in the, in the bushes and they come out and they rob him. So first of all, he's looking after his own safety and going, hang on, no, this could be a trap. I'm out of here. But then secondly, if the guy was actually not just beaten up, but he was dead, to touch him would be unclean for a priest. So he could look at him and go, oh, I could help that guy, but if he's, if he's actually dead and I touch him, well, that's awkward for me because that's unclean. I can't, so just best to avoid the situation. Doesn't mean he couldn't have called for help. He could, have, he could have done a number of things, but he chose to justify his actions by what he saw to what he had to do. And he keeps walking. And as they're hearing this story, 
It's believed that it would not be uncommon for them to, to hear a story like this or, or to believe what's happening, that they, they know like a good movie what's going to come next. You know that a superhero is, is going to come out and, and save the day. And the people listening to this story, the, the expert of the law, the, the priest, would have been expecting someone to come out and help. But like any good movie, this story has a great plot twist. And the hero is not who they think it's going to be. It's not the everyday man just walking down the street. It's actually a Samaritan. And we'll keep reading. It says, Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed the wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, now you go and do the same. You know, Jesus takes the most extreme situation here. A despised Samaritan who, for a number of reasons, easily could have justified himself again. He could have said, you know, this is my own safety here. I don't want to get robbed myself. He would have been in a similar circumstance to the priest and the assistant in that situation. But also the fact that the man lying on the ground despised him, that the Samaritans did not get along, that they were despised, they were considered as a half race, that they were like interbred and so they were despised, they were no good, they were, they were a half breed of people and looked down upon. But so often I love it that Jesus goes and he's talking to the Samaritan, isn't he? he he's spending time with them. He, he, he loves them. And in this circumstance, they were not expecting it to be a Samaritan that would come and help. Because why on earth would a Samaritan who completely could justify himself from that situation and go, you don't even like me. In fact, if this was me, you probably would have like robbed me or done something bad and kept walking because I'm despised. I'm nothing in your eyes. Yet he doesn't justify himself like that. He's actually moved by compassion, the Bible says. And not only does he go and see if he's all right, but he takes it to the next level and he cares for him and he wraps him up and he takes care of his wounds. He puts him on his donkey. I love that he says he puts him on his own donkey, which means what? That he was walking alongside of him, wasn't it? It isn't like he had a spare donkey there with a back seat and throws him in and kind of drives him down the road. He would have put him on his own donkey and walked and taken him to the nearest inn and then gives up a day's wage and says, here is what you need to take care of this guy. And in fact, so much do I want him to be cared for that I'm going to come back in a couple of days and if he wants some room service, maybe he wants to hit some peanuts out of the minibar, I'll come back and I'll pick up that tab as well. Just make sure he has whatever he wants, whatever he needs to get back on his feet. What an incredible picture that Jesus paints for us of what it looks like to care for our neighbour. It doesn't speak into the man's situation. It doesn't say he was, he was a rich Samaritan with just money flowing everywhere so he could just spin it out. But it just tells us the incredible compassion that he takes for a guy who wouldn't have even liked him, who he shouldn't have even talked to in the street, that he shouldn't have even taken a moment to bend down and look at. But instead he does the complete opposite. And what I take from this is, and what I love that the Bible uses here is the word compassion, and that we need to be driven by compassion. We need to choose to have compassion. 
Now, I'm not as uh, clever as Pastor Dean, but I did try a little bit of his, his work and look up what compassion was in the original language there. And it was a word that I could not pronounce, say, or even recognize or understand. But what I did do was highlight over it in my little software and it brought up a meaning for me, which was great. And it says that the, the word compassion there means to, to have an inward yearning, like a yearning from the stomach, that you would be moved by compassion. And what that says to me is that compassion in this circumstance is not just something that we kind of see as an emotional thing and go, oh, yep, I should have compassion. It's not something that we have a little checklist of, of what it means to to have compassion. It means that it's something that drives us on the very inside. That we would care on on the inside. You know, last week I was sharing at our PM service, I shared, uh, you know, about uh, what it's been like for us a little bit to have a, a brand new son. We've got an eight-week-old uh, baby who, whose mission in life is to prevent me from getting the required amount of sleep that I need to function uh, as a human being. And, and so he, he does that in the method of crying. And it doesn't seem to matter kind of what it is that he wants. The, the, the outcome is to cry. And sometimes I'll lay there and I'm like, I wonder if we can ride this one out. Like just this one time, maybe he'll stop. Um, you know, maybe Zoe will sneak around and get him before and I can come down the hallway and be like, oh, sorry. And, but not really, I, maybe. But really, I just look at it and go, maybe just this one time I'll ride it out. And what it always resorts to is louder crying. And then louder crying and then louder crying. The baby monitor starts on a nice little green, starts peeking out on a high red. And I'm like, all right, it's time to go. And, and I go down there. But I cannot ignore what is going on there. It's impossible for me to go back to sleep, go back to my own world without kind of dealing with the cry. Now, the compassion of part of me goes, you know what, he's probably hungry or he's sick. Or so those thoughts of ignoring him probably aren't good at that age because he's crying for something. So the compassion in me goes down and wants to kind of not just kind of ram a dummy in his mouth and leave. I want to take care of his need and make sure he's okay. But the reality is that's my own family and it's loud And it's right there in front of me. And it's easy sometimes in those circumstances and sometimes not so easy when you're tired, but it's easy to recognise that compassion is necessary in that situation. But in our everyday world, when we're walking down the street, when we're in our workplace, when we're presented with opportunities to have compassion on people, I believe that is where we're called to be driven by compassion. That's where we're called to have that yearning, that desire inside of us to do something. And what would cause a Samaritan to go up to an enemy and just look after him a little bit, not just do the right thing, but to extravagantly love on him and make sure he has more than he needs? It's to be driven by compassion. And I believe for me and for you that every day there are opportunities for us to have this kind of compassion for people that we would never even think fit the picture in our lives, to see their lives changed, to meet them with the love of Jesus, but I know for me, sometimes that's not, that yearning of compassion is not what is inside of me. It's getting the things that I need to get done on, on all day, every day to, to achieve my job or to get to that next thing or, or to get home on time or, or to spend more time with my family or to, to you know, do those things that I love. And, and all those things are good. But to be driven by compassion means that sometimes those things need to kind of be in the background a little bit for a moment. And we need to stop and see what Jesus sees and go, how can I act with compassion in this situation? And he tells us how to do it by sharing this story, which is so countercultural. You know, I often walk, um, you know, through Joondalup shops and, 
and do my shopping there. And some of the sometimes the route I take is um through through the, the train station part, like the forbidden bit where you don't want to walk, like Max Brenner's out there and you know there's all kinds of deals going down on the outside of Max Brenner. And often my, my, my thought process as I walk through there is to go, why did I come this way? And now I have a I'm like, why am I wheeling a like and I look at those people, some of them who are just in great need and go, oh, please don't talk, please don't talk to me. Like, please, I know I, know I have good shoes, please don't talk to me. Like, and I want to avoid that scenario. But what's going on in my heart in that scenario is not compassion. I want to be a person that looks at that area and those, those, those kind of people who sometimes we choose to go, oh, no, not today, thanks. Do you have some check? No. But to go, what, what does compassion say I can do for you? How could I bless you today? And for me, that's a scenario for me because that's where I see it come out in my life. Where there's, there's situations and circumstances I look at and I look at through my own lens of being in a hurry or having something else to do. But I want to look and go, what does Jesus see in this situation? What does he tell me to do? It tells me that I should be driven on my inside by something else. That's why I love Altar One so much. I love hearing Daryl and the, the stories that, they're, that, they're, that are happening in here and the things that they're doing. You know, Daryl hasn't kind of, sorry to embarrass you, but he hasn't kind of come and taught at Ultra One because they pay him heaps of money. Like, I, I, unless that's, no. <laughs> in fact, I would guess, and I haven't had this conversation with Daryl, but I would be sure that he could be making more money teaching in another area, in another school, in another environment that would probably take care of his personal needs more than what teaching at Ultra One would. But what is it that causes him to give up teaching in another environment that's going to pay him more money, that's going to give him more benefits, benefits in a, in a financial way, to give all that up and come and work at a school every day where you know you're not going to know what you walk into, where it's going to be difficult, where it's going to be tough, where it's not going to take care of your personal needs as much. It's compassion. That's why Jess comes on as a chaplain. That's why we have Tyson in there as an EA. That's why we do food ministry. That's why we have a clothing shop. All of it is to be driven by compassion. And I love the volunteers that we have. I love coming in here through the week and just seeing all the things that we do as a church that drive us to have compassion and care about other people. And for me, it's easy from a church point of view to see how that works and to be a part of it. I love that it's as easy for me to go and pick up a $2 bag and go and fill it up and put it back and then someone else will kind of do all the hard work, if you will, by packing the hampers and delivering them in the room and, and coming and meeting the people who aren't always as nice and gracious as you would think when they're being given something for free. But the guys in the lounge do a phenomenal job of just blessing them and caring. It's being driven by compassion. And it's, it's a great thing that we do that as a church, as a collective body. And I'd encourage you, if you, you want to know more about the stuff that happens here, come down during the week. Talk to the community care guys about how to get involved with, with what's happening there, even if it's just taking a bag and filling it up and bringing it back. But I think for us as Christians, us as the church, it goes a little bit beyond just what happens in these walls, as incredible as that is. This story doesn't happen in the four walls of the church. This story doesn't happen by the priest actually stopping and going, yep, I'm a priest, I should care for people. In my own life, I never want to be the guy that crosses the road and leaves the problem behind because I just missed it because I wasn't looking through the lens of compassion. You know, I'll get the, the band to come up. We're going we're gonna to wrap up in a moment. This week, uh, Michelle actually sent through uh, a, an email um, and said maybe this will be helpful for Sunday. And in fact, it was. So thank you. Haven't seen you all week. Didn't have a chance to say thank you. 
But it's a story, this, this young um, boy, a school had been coming in and kind of having an opportunity to, to see some of what our care ministry does, so particularly in the area of food and the food going out and the food room here. And went back to school and, and thought, you know what, there, there's a need in our world for people who don't have enough to eat. So what he had caught a glimpse of is, is what was happening in a church that he doesn't come to, that he's not a part of, that he doesn't hear about every single Sunday. And went, there's something in this. And so this little boy has gone and started collecting food with his family to, to bring in, to, to donate. Then telling his friends about it and saying, hey, I'm just doing this thing for people that don't have enough food, a primary school boy. And so they've gone, hey, we could do that too and their families as well. To the point where now all over the school, they're collecting food that actually, and they contacted us and said, well, we've got all this food. And so what we think we should probably do with it is give it to you guys to use as a part of your food hampers at Christmas, but we're writing this actually just to say thank you for having an influence on a little boy who has now changed something in his world that goes, I need to help other people. And now the newspaper have heard about this and they want to come in and do a story on the little boy about why like a primary school kid would care enough about people that he doesn't meet or know, that he would bother when he could be playing his Xbox or outside on a swing or doing something, his homework or playing with his friends, that he would choose to go and collect tins of food to bring them to a church, to give to people that he'll never see or meet, who will never say thank you to him. And he didn't do it to get in the newspaper. He did it because I believe he's got a glimpse of what it looks like to have compassion, to go outside of the four walls of the church and go, what does it look like for me to be driven by compassion? Because as followers of Christ, we only spend a couple of hours in here a week and then we're out there the rest of the time. And... People aren't looking to what happens in here on a Sunday morning to go, well, let's go suss out what their church meetings look like. They're actually looking at who we are as followers of Christ and whether that matches up to the Jesus that they have heard about or believe in or, or might have a picture of. And the Jesus that we want them to have a picture of is a Jesus that tells this story that is driven by compassion for other people. And so for each of us, I can't give an illustration of what that might look like for you during the week because I don't know what we all do. But I know what it looks like for me to maybe change what I need to prioritise and what things look like for me so that I could be driven by this compassion that Jesus speaks about. And my hope would be this morning as we, we wrap up in a moment, as we just sing a song one more time, that we could look at it and go, well, what does it mean for me, Jesus, this morning? What does this story look like in my world? I'm not going to be walking down the road of Jericho. But what does it look like for me when I walk out of my front door each day to be driven by this compassion that you speak of? Not just for those I know, but for all people. What opportunities are you going to give me this week to show the love of Jesus to my neighbour? Can I just pray for us as a church? Would that be all right?